Hello. I'm thankful that by the grace of God, I have this opportunity to share in an Asbury Seminary Chapel today. I want to acknowledge not only God's favor in my life, but our Honorable President, Dr. Tennant, any board members that may be uh, attending or listening, certainly our distinguished faculty and staff, and I applaud all of our students who have uh, braved these endeavors, particularly in this time, and welcome to all friends and those who are part of the faithful. Advent, that's the seasons that we are in, and it is a season that catapults us as believers out of our routine and ordinary time into a season of preparation, expectation, anticipating God's grace-filled promises to be realized in our life. We don't know exactly how God is going to do it, but we are confident that he has a framework and a history and a precedence for bringing in new possibilities and for fulfilling his every promise. Advent reminds us that not only did Jesus come, but it has a pointing to the future, which lets us know that that same Jesus, though not as the babe of Bethlehem, will come again. When I look at the landscape and the horizon, listen to the news and see the inevitable signs of the pandemic all around, uh, it's possible to refute that message of doom and gloom, not only because it's Advent now, but because of the ongoing sense that Jesus is coming again and that every word that he has promised will be fulfilled. There is a traditional word from the Lord, that traditional by the sense, in the sense that we often refer to it as part of our uh, Advent narratives and passages. And then another um, verse, I don't know if I should call it a text that I'll offer for your consideration that impressed me during this season. Beginning with Philippians uh, chapter one and verse six, I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I commend you to read more of that passage at your leisure because it reminds us that Paul, even though at the time he was imprisoned and the believers, which we see in subsequent verses, were going through a season of suffering, they had an expectation for a glorious future. And so what I want us to share with in our lesson for a few moments is the fact that uh, love will lift us. Love will lift us. The lift of love, in other words. Uh, our more, also possibly uh, not an unfamiliar passage used in Advent, but our key verses are found in the Gospel according to the Evangelist Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 46 from the New International Version. You've already heard these, and so I'll try to be fairly brief. But I want you to note the movement of the text rather than any three points that I would offer to you. Beginning in verse 36, it says, When they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, uh, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, for he's calling for you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It's almost overwhelming to think of how many lessons readily emerge from this text, but let's examine a few of them uh, in the few moments that uh, remain. I want you to look at the fact, the first a turn or first movement of this text uh, is the coming of Jesus, that love arrives for God sent his son. It's because God so loved the world, a God who is love sent a loving son. And so love has arrived in town, in the town of Jericho. And there Jesus with his disciples, it's just before they are leaving town or as they're about to do so, they encounter a man without sight, Bartimaeus. And on the arrival of Jesus, Bartimaeus has a response. So his faith leads him to respond to the arrival of Jesus. And when he hears that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Son, Jesus, Son of David. I would that we would take a quick detour and note that there are two titles given for Jesus in this passage. There is Jesus of Nazareth, and there is Jesus, Son of David. Without going in depth, we can see a progression, uh, perhaps in an understanding or beginning of an understanding of who Jesus really was, that this was love come to town. For Jesus of Nazareth, we remember from Mark, the sixth chapter, that the reception Jesus received when he went to Nazareth, his own hometown, was less than shining, less than brilliant, less than receptive at all. Uh, what happened was he began... Um, to demonstrate his miracles, the people were amazed, just as Pilate was amazed, just as they were amazed when there was a demon-possessed son, a demon-possessed man. But the reality is that mere amazement and being in wonder is not proof of faith or coming to faith. And because they began to question Jesus and could not see beyond his human history, his meager origin and his beginnings. Isn't this the, the brother of Simon and Judas and aren't his sisters here? And isn't this the carpenter's son? And they never could get beyond their routine and their familiar, comfortable reality. And because of that, Jesus said that, I'm paraphrasing, that a prophet did not have honor in his own hometown among his family and friends and relatives. Uh, but he was not able to do any great miracles or many miracles there as he was able to do in other cities and other places. So this first acknowledgement by blind Bartimaeus, uh, a man who we know by his condition, and we almost don't say Bartimaeus, we say blind Bartimaeus, um, is he recognizes that history. Perhaps he's heard of that history of rejection, uh, of refusing to receive Jesus as he came to town. But he then calls him son of David, which means that he recognizes that here is a promise, the promise that the house and the dynasty of David would be ongoing and everlasting. Uh, son of David, he's recognizing the royalty of this guest, this visitor who has come to Jericho to town. And he is recognizing his position, 
his royalty, uh, the promise that had been made about the house of David. And most of all, he is beginning to recognize his presence. He's recognizing his royalty, his position. He's recognizing the promise that had been made and his presence. And so there is a progression there. But as Bartimaeus responds to the coming of Jesus, his reaction, his shouting out, his calling on the name of the Lord uh, causes another response, and that is resistance. Jesus comes and there's a response. The response brings resistance. And this resistance is given to us in verse 48. It says, many rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. Now there's a time to be quiet, but this is not the time when quietness is in order because Jesus has entered into his passion season and there is no uh, command that what is being done should be kept quiet and should be a hushed matter. And so actually, I'm sure he was not aware of it, but what the what Bartimaeus did was perfectly in order and in sync with the move and the plan of God. So there's been an advent. Jesus has come. And now he's being told, Bartimaeus, to be quiet. But what did he do? He shouted all the more. There was a cry from him, but it increased. There was a call from him, but it was magnified. There was a petition from him, uh, but it was elevated. And it was, uh, I would say, even exaggerated as he called louder and shouted the more. He said, son of David, calling for that promise, calling for the one of royal position, uh, calling for his performance that is known to be sure. Son of David, have mercy on me. No generic plea, but very specific. Jesus did what he stopped. And it makes sense that he would, because when Jesus stopped, we easily enter into the text and we assume that not just his movement stopped, but the noise of the crowd or the comments of the crowd probably stopped. Eyes that would have been looking at different distractions must have been looking directly at him uh, because all things revolve around the movement and the plan of God. This was not just David in another form, but this son of David was the son of the king of kings, as it were, the son of God uh, and one of true deity. And so Jesus stopped. What a reward from resistance to reward, to command the attention of God. And Jesus tells disciples, you go call him. So there's been a call and another call, uh, a coming and now another coming, Advent. And so he says, call him. And those, perhaps these are the same people that warned Bartimaeus to be silent were the ones who now became the instruments, the mediators of uh, this command from the Lord and invitation. He said, cheer up. On your feet, uh, one translation says, take heart. And so now Barnabas comes to Jesus. And as he comes, I love his action. He throws aside his cloak. Cloaks so often reminding us of the mantles we wear, the labels we wear, the stigmas assigned to us, uh, the, the, the stereotypic roles. For me, I see in this text, and you probably see so much more, that this cloak was what he had gripped. This cloak was what had warmed him. This cloak had been a prized possession, even though it was a symbol of dysfunction in his body and degradation in his life. He was certainly a part of what they would consider the outcast 
having been a beggar, but he knew that this call meant new possibility. Yes, God was breaking in and interrupting his routine. Love was doing this. He took his old way and he tossed it to the side. And it almost surprises us because he jumps to his feet and he comes to the Lord who asks him, what do you want me to do? And he says, Rabbi, it really means my Rabona, my teacher, it's personal. You have come to me. This is God in our midst. He may not have had the full revelation that this was Emmanuel, but certainly he's making it personal. And he's saying, I want to see. He's willing to come out of that old place, out of his old routine, out of his old cloak and come to a new place. And Jesus in his very ways of healing does not lay a hand on him, but he gives him a word and the word is go. And so he says, your faith has healed you. And I would doubt that maybe Bartimaeus became one of the ongoing regular disciples, but he certainly did join them now in moving uh, out of Jericho and on the way to Jerusalem. This healing miracle, this, this ministry of Jesus, uh, in town reminded me of another frame, actually a, a, another song, two songs, one that I did not know personally, but in attending a Westland conference some time ago, I was um, pleasantly surprised that there was a full orchestra on the uh, stage and two opera singers. But the paradox is that what they were singing was not some classical oratorio, but, uh, but it was a song of B.B. King's When Love Comes to Town. Now, I had not known this song, but when I left, I went and looked it up online to see what the words were. Uh, quite sure that it really spoke more of a romantic love, but I found among, in and among those passages that which clearly pointed to the Lord. Bear with me for a moment as we talk about how love lifts us when love comes to town. It says, this was released in October of 1988, B.B. King. Um, I was a sailor. I was lost at sea. I was under the waves before love rescued me. I was a fighter. I could turn on a thread. Now I stand accused of the things I've said. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to live and let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. I was there. This is another verse and one that's so appropriate for our time today. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the sword, when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. I imagine that there uh, is not much that could be called to be similarities between B.B. King and the man by, begging by the side of the road, a man begging who was labeled, 
who was who other people perhaps said he was, who had his own Nazareth rejection experience. But I don't doubt that both of them, uh, uh, that there was would be some insight if Bartimaeus was with us today and said, yes, love came to town. And I jumped that train as he jumped to his feet and as he called on Jesus, the son of David, and as he received a personal blessing and healing, and as he was commissioned to go forward. I want you to know that love didn't just come to Jericho, but love has come right here where we are. Love has come. And it's good to think about jumping a train, not a one-time response, but moving on down the track of life and journeying with the Lord. And he's given us strength and energized our limbs so that we can be a part of what he's doing. Yes, love has come to town. And as the writer of these lyrics says, I was lost at sea, but love rescued me. I know by now a few of you who may be from my decade, it's ringing a bell. I grew up on a hymn that said I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained within and sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me. Love lifts us. Now safe am I. I was torn whether to talk about it was love that did the lifting because it was love, but somehow I must mention faith because love came to Nazareth, but it was not met with faith. It was met instead with fear and doubt and disbelief. So faith, and I invite you to remember these, faith overcomes the scandal of the ordinary. Faith overcomes the scandal of the ordinary. And then second, Faith, as I stare at this text, is a long-distance runner. It was good when Bartimaeus was by the side of the road begging, but it also is good as it ushers him into a new future. Faith is a long-distance runner. And then faith is what equips that runner to overcome the barriers and to step out of a comfortable dysfunction into a new world. Faith overcomes the scandal of the ordinary. Faith is a long distance runner. It'll take us from here to there. And faith gives us courage to step out of the familiar into the unfamiliar, into the familiar that may have its own ills, its own uh, noose, its own downfalls, into the new possibilities of Advent. What I really love about this text is how it is that Bartimaeus was consistent because he knew love had come to town. Oh, he didn't have the, the background and the bluesy sound of a B.B. King, but he had a sound that was came out of the depths of his own soul. And as he cried, thou son of David, he set the tone for what was about to happen. Because his blind Bartimaeus, no doubt, joined the crowd as Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem. The crowd there began to pick up the same cry that had been the sign of the suffering heart and life of Bartimaeus. Who knows? But your cry, your persistent cry of faith and confidence in the Lord in the midst of what looks horrible on the landscape and the horizon may set the tone 
and become the very theme and the words for the next move of God. For as they entered into Jerusalem, the crowds began to hail this one who indeed was a son of David. Love lifts us. It doesn't leave us and let us sink. Love rescues us, whether it's in the words of the old hymn, Love Lifted Me, or whether it was in the sounds, the bluesy sounds of a B.B. King, or whether it was sang by opera singers accompanied by a full orchestra, or whether it's you, or whether it's me, and we're just talking together, giving faithful witness to the fact that when love comes to town, love lifts. Be blessed. This is the word of the Lord.